That is a little boy in North Carolina named Lachlan, whose mother, her name is Erica Collis, she explained to me she'll only let him listen to the first sentence that's uttered on any given episode of this show. He thinks the show itself is called, Hi Folks, This is Kevin. So thank you so much for helping us introduce the show this week, Lachlan, and to the rest of you, just a few words before we start. If you are new to the Risk podcast, be sure and check out our recent Best of Risk, number three and four episodes, and our Live from San Francisco episodes. Those are great ways to get to know the show, and if you already know the show, share those suckers with your friends. Now listen, if you are a fan of podcasts, you may already be aware that Congress is considering passing the SHIELD Act soon. This issue could not possibly be more urgent and crucial. For us podcasters, all of us podcasters are under attack from a patent troll called Personal Audio that claims to own the patent for podcasting itself and seeks to extort money from all successful podcasts and bankrupt us all. As President Obama says, patent trolls are those who do not produce anything themselves. They just seek to extort from those who do. This is a huge problem, not just for podcasters, but for entrepreneurs all over the country. So we're asking all of our fans to go to EFF.org slash shield to contact your representative and tell them to make the Shield Act law. Very easy to do. Just a couple clicks. And as far as podcasts are concerned, it could hardly be more important to us. And finally, as you know, Risk in the Story Studio, we're a small business. And mailing and shipping, they're an important part of what we do. But it can get in the way of growing a small business if you're constantly making trips to the post office. What a waste of time. So use Stamps.com instead like we do. With Stamps.com, you, 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 you do everything that you do at the post office, but you do it right from your desk. You can buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package just using your own computer and printer. They'll send you a digital scale that calculates the exact postage you need. You'll never have to go to the post office again or lease one of those expensive postage meters. Right now, you use our promo code RISK for this special offer. It's a no-risk trial plus a $110 bonus offer that includes a digital scale and up to $55 free postage. So don't wait. Go to Stamps.com before you do anything else. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in RISK. That's stamps.com. Enter risk. Now, here's the show. kids this is risk the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share 
I'm Kevin Allison, and this is Matanza behind me now. You have to pardon me, my voice is a little hoarse today. I was involved in a little bit of a um, spanking imbroglio last night that's left my voice a little shattered. Today's episode is called Live from North Carolina. We had such a great time down there at the North Carolina Comedy Arts Festival. The whole thing is kind of put together by the DSI Comedy Theater and Zach Ward. And he was just such a sweetheart, took such good care of us. And what a thrill to see how many people down there are big Risk fans. Some people came all the way from Atlanta. It was also a real thrill to see the storytelling shows that are happening down there. They have the Monty and they have a show, it's very new, but it's a kinky storytelling show called Mouth of the South. You can find on Twitter at M-O-T-S show. In a little bit, we're going to hear from a local storyteller down there named Robert Bland. But before that, Jane Borden, lovely lady, author of the book, I Totally Meant to Do That. And here she is now at the Risk Live show in North Carolina. Jane Borden with a story we call I'm Your Butt Girl. All right, so I'm sitting at my sister's kitchen table, and my nephew, who was six at the time, looks up at me and says, apropos of nothing, he goes, hey, I'm gonna poop on your butt. (laughs) And then my sister says, I don't care if Aunt Jane is laughing, I don't like that language. (laughs) But I couldn't help it, the kid's a genius, poop on your butt. Not only did he squeeze two forbidden words into one sentence, he also subtly implied the presence of his own derriere, which is a triple, a major hit for someone obsessed with scatological talk. And just for the record, I do not typically endorse bathroom humor. Uh, Why? Because it's easy and it's overdone, right? Let's investigate, however, that both of those are also indicators of its initial universal hilariousness. (laughs) A poop joke is the first joke, right? It's the gateway laugh so powerful that even a six-year-old can grasp it. I'm sorry, Bernie Mac, but poop is the original king of comedy. So if I wanted to encourage a sense of humor in my nephew, how could I discourage his obsession with his own rear end? That would be like telling a young Peyton Manning to put down the nerf. And this is why, as soon as my sister was out of earshot, I asked my nephew if he would like to manufacture some fart sounds. He said that he would. Uh, he already knew this one where you put your arm, you know, your hand in your armpit, but I taught him the one with the palms together up against your mouth when you blow. He was kind of having a tough time with it though, uh, and his hands were getting away. He tried to like wipe the slobber off, and I had to grab his hand and go, no, no, don't. The slobber makes them better. <laughs> These are precious moments. <laughs> Um, I wish I could say that I was uh, motivated by a desire to squash taboos and uh, something on a high horse, uh, but the truth is that I was desperate to have some kind of relationship with this kid. Uh, He and I had always had a tough time. I knew the problem was me because he had a great relationship with my mother and my other sister, 
But whenever I came over, he would have to be forced to hug me. Uh, he'd be playing, like literally my sister would be like, Franklin, get over here and hug your aunt. And then he'd just like, like sulk over and stand there just like get it over with just the worst just the worst and it might be because when he was an infant and everyone was kind of like singing to him and bouncing up up and down uh, I mostly just held him in front of me and stared at him <laughs> just long bouts of eye contact as if I thought you know his uh, lack of speech wasn't because he didn't know how, but because of a quiet strength, <laughs> you know. Uh, so it's possible that, you know, he saw me at an older age and was like, you. <laughs> um, but <laughs> it's more likely that uh, that whole experience is just another manifestation of the real problem, which is that I'm not around. Uh, both of my sisters have moved back home where my parents close to where my parents are. They're all together, uh, and I'm not. And this doesn't affect my relationship with my sisters or my parents because we uh, started together. <laughs> but my nephews are starting without me, uh, and it scares me and uh, leads me to act in desperate ways uh, because I feel like a stranger. And the desperation and the strangerness are probably why my nephew uh, accidentally accused me of inappropriate touching. <laughs> we were on the playground, and uh, he was at the top of the slide, and he wouldn't go down, but he wouldn't turn around and leave either, and the kids were lining up behind him, and I was like, Franklin, come on, and he was just sort of sitting there being sullen. The kids started looking to me like a, a large person do something, uh, and so I didn't know what to do, and I just kind of, I just, I don't know, I just started tickling him. I just to like, I don't know, shake him up or something, and he goes, stop it, and he was kind of angry, and so I tickled him again. Uh, which was a really bad idea in retrospect. He took a step back away from me, and then he said definitively, I don't like the way you're touching me. Uh-oh. Uh, later that night, over a glass of wine, my sister was like, oh yeah, Gene, I meant to tell you, I almost forgot. Franklin said the funniest thing today. <laughs> He said something about you touching him in a way he didn't like. And then she did this laugh, this little like, ha ha ha, as if to say, you know, like, surely you have no idea what I'm talking about. Ha ha ha, now is when you tell me that you have no idea what I'm talking about. And so I said uh, the only thing I could say, which was, uh, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, so suffice it to say, I was desperate for an in with this kid. And the thing is that uh, the butt stuff, it was working. So like now when I came over, he was legitimately excited to see me. And not only would he hug me, or just really just let me hug him with less, you know, fuss about it, but he would, you know, immediately take me to see his latest Lego tower, or he wanted to show me his high score on an iPad game or something, and it was the best. The greatest feeling in the world. So I was like, cool, you're into butts, I'm your butt girl. Double down the butts, all of my money on butts. So uh, we, we invented this game that we called Smack Ass, which is uh, 
basically, you try to spank your opponent while simultaneously dodging his or her spanks. And you kind of like turn your backs to each other and back up toward each other, like shaking your butt out, like a taunt, right? But then when you get close, you gotta spin around and smack, and it's way more inappropriate than tickling. <laughs> but if he doesn't see it that way, I'm not bringing it up. I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying it too much, you know? Uh, I wanted more. Uh, which is probably why when he asked his dad what a skid mark was, I suggested we tell him. <laughs> and I honestly don't regret it, I don't, because he squealed. He literally squealed in delight. His eyes grew twice their size, and the skies opened up. But in that new light, I also saw the path I had chosen. <laughs> And I began to become a little alarmed because wh where do we go from here? What happens when he outgrows butts? I'm gonna tell him what a queef is. <laughs> that is not how you become the cool ant. That's how you become creepy ant queef. <laughs> the thing is, like, I knew I had to do something, right? I knew I had to pull back or something because before he squealed and laughed, he, he did this. He goes, ooh, that can happen? Disgust, horror, then joy and laughter. Butts are complicated. And he's starting to figure this out, right? And I don't want him to feel ashamed about it or embarrassed, but I also want him to understand that some other people do feel ashamed and embarrassed about it. There's disgust and fear and laughter and humor, and that's really just the beginning of how people consider butts and all of the things that butts can do, and like eventually he's gonna learn all this. And I have to help, I have to like facilitate somehow in the complication of butt-dumb, right? Of sharing this information. And so I decide uh, the thing to do, because I, I remember the first time that I felt shame. Uh, and I've in fact never told anyone this before. Uh, and after I thought today and about it, and after I started practicing it, I thought, why? So here goes. But uh, so when I was a kid, I was maybe five, maybe four. It's one of my earliest memories. Uh, I was obsessed with those shape games, you know, like the um, plus si plus sign shape goes in the plus sign hole, and the triangle thing goes in the triangle hole, etc. And I remember seeing my crayons and seeing that they were cylinders and sticking them up my nose and sticking them in my ears and then having to go knock on my mother's door because I had gotten one stuck in my rear. <laughs> Thank you for clapping. <laughs> and I was not, I, I remember that I was not embarrassed about it when I knocked on her door uh, but I have been embarrassed about it for the last 30 years. <laughs> a 
and it's not because she yelled at me. She didn't shame me or anything, but the intensity with which she forbade me from doing it again <laughs> told the whole story. And why, like, I, I, I'm not embarrassed that I did it. I was four. I, did, I saw no distinction between any of the orifices on my body. Uh, I guess it's just an embarrassing thing to say. How do I explain all of this to my nephew? I decided to uh, pull back, not quit entirely. I mean, I couldn't. The jig was up. Uh, also, I, I really don't want him to let taboos hold power. Uh, so, I, but I decided I should at least pull back a little bit, you know, so when we're just alone, just the two of us, I would indulge him, and we were in public with adults, I wouldn't, you know, teach him a time and a place, in case he ever meets the queen. <laughs> and the thing is, uh, is that it was working, and I was like, cool, he gets it, he's starting to understand, right? But in retrospect, I realized that he had taken my change in behavior as some kind of challenge, and he was merely lulling me into a state of complacency for his counterattack, uh, which happened at my parents' house. We were all going out to dinner. He had a babysitter. He's standing at the uh, landing on the stairs as we're walking out the door, and he goes, but Jane, I don't want you to go. And he was definitely, I mean, He's a nice kid, but I was, could tell he was being sarcastic, and also, he's not that nice of a kid. <laughs> so I say, uh, well, honey, I want to believe you, but I think you're just toying with my emotions. And then he, he did this thing, he turned around, turned his back to us, threw his head back over his shoulder, stuck his butt out, and goes, I think you're just toying with my butt. <laughs> Uh, and I thought, I thought two things. Um, first of all, he definitely knows they're sexual. <laughs> definitely figured that out. Uh, and then the second thing I thought was that it was damn funny. <laughs> Thanks a lot, guys. Jane Borden, everyone! I was listening backstage and I made a mental note. I thought to myself, you know what? Before I leave North Carolina, I really should sit down and talk with Jane and have her review for me the rules of that game Smack Ass. <laughs> Might be one I want to bring back to New York. Our next storyteller is from right here. Uh, he is one of the favorites at your own storytelling show, The Monty. Just definitely check out. It's been a thrill to meet Jeff over at The Monty and, and everyone else associated with it. Um, he actually works for, it's a four minute walk from here at Glenn's Tattoo Service. Please welcome Mr. Robert Black. It's a little strange being up here. I feel kind of outclassed. It's like, ooh, editor of New York Things. Somebody just flew in and got a cab, and I like, I walked. It's over there. So, uh, and I'm going back uh, after this. So, if anybody uh, wants any of the services you may hear described in this story you're about to hear, please uh, come by. So, uh, as 
Kevin mentioned I'm, I work in a tattoo shop. I'm a body piercer, and I have been professionally for 17 years. Um, and just to get rid of a few rumors about what I do for a living, yes, it is true that people take their clothes off in front of me and then pay me. It's usually not people that you want to take their clothes off in front of you. But it is part of my job, so there are genitalia and breasts and things like that involved. Uh, I'm also incredibly boring, uh, as is most of the people that work with me. We're all married, we all have mortgage payments and children, and people are under this impression that it's like strippers and eight balls of coke all day long, and it's really not that at all. Uh, I'm also not a criminal, and uh, my car is completely legal, and uh, I've been married for a decade, and uh, there's no need to pull your children away from me, which it, it's gotten better since, since I started. You used to, I remember walking down the street one day, and, and there were two little kids who had obviously just come from some semi-formal occasion church or something like that, and they were running ahead of their mother, who was behind them by 10 or 12 paces, and they see me and they stop. And, uh, you know, this is almost 20 years ago. People that looked like me were not just wandering the streets. And uh, so I, hey, kids, how you doing? You know, and as I pass, they, they wait for their mom to catch up to them. I say, hi, you know, hello. She walks by. And then I hear the little boy go, mommy, was that a bad man? <laughs> and uh, I didn't stick around to hear her response for fear that I might become a bad man if she said something that offended me, but, uh, so in my world, there are everyday run-of-the-mill bread and butter piercings, uh, you know, your navel, your nose, your ears, your eyebrows, stuff that you see fairly commonly these days, and then there's uh, private piercings. Now, uh, we would consider, you know, uh, female nipple piercings to be a private piercing, uh, and of course, anything below the waist. Uh, within the male genital piercing realm, and also, surprisingly enough, the female genital piercing realm. This is the only genital piercing that crosses the gender gap. There's a piercing called a geesh. That's the piercing name. It's actually your perineum, which is your taint, or your chode, or your famunda, or whatever colloquialism you want to put on it. But it's basically the space in between your anus and either your scrotum or your vagina, depending on what, or maybe both, you know, I don't know what the hell goes on sometimes, but um, when you start, at least when I started out as a body piercer, you serve an apprenticeship and you sort of reach a point in your career where you haven't necessarily done every piercing that you know exists. I mean, I, I've been doing it 20 years and they keep coming up with new shit that I'm like, what? You want me to do what with where? All right. But, uh, it's very mechanical. It's a very technical thing. So, you know, in much the same way that I would imagine if you're an automobile mechanic, but maybe you've never worked on a 98 Plymouth Voyager, you know how a motor works and it's fairly easy to figure it out. Well, that's the same thing with my business. So the very first time a gentleman walked into my shop and requested to have his geese pierced, I went, sure. No problem. Fill this form out. It'll be $90, whatever the price was. I don't remember back then. It was, this is 15 years ago or so. And I walk back into my booth. You fill this form out. I'm going to go set up. Then it sort of hits me like, oh, shit, man. I've never done this before. I've done some genital piercings, but this is, 
there's a problem with access. This is not an easy part. If, if you're doing a piercing on the penis itself, it's just, you're laying down, there's your penis. Uh, Kevin's familiar with this sort of stuff more than I am. But, uh, it's just there, you get it, you do it, it's fine, right? But this is like, how do I get... Uh, okay, so my solution to this problem is, I'm gonna have this guy, doggy style, on the table. Hands and knees, just with his goat going on, and I'm gonna be behind, I didn't think this through very well, I, but uh, you know, I'm thinking I'll be behind him with the, uh, this and the, yeah, so. So he comes back to the room, and uh, my general practice for any piercing that involves anyone getting naked is to do about three quarters of my setup before I say, okay, you can take your shirt, bra, pants, panties, whatever off. The idea being, you know, I don't want you to be uncomfortable and have to be needlessly naked for a long period of time. I don't want to be uncomfortable and have you be needlessly naked. And it's also nice if it does happen to be someone who you want to see naked, it's nice to be able to say, okay, go ahead and take your clothes off and then be able to turn back and have something to do so you're not just standing there going, no, go ahead, take it, it's cool. No, just take it off, it's, it's fine. <laughs> Pay attention to me, just, yeah, okay. So, I'm here, he's here. It's a very small, enclosed room, and I'm doing my setup, not paying attention to this gentleman. And when I turn to tell him, okay, pants and underwear off, he's already completely stark naked. He has removed all but his shoes, pants, underwear, hat, undershirt, shirt, gone. He's standing there, and I notice that he already has a genital piercing. So there's another piercing, it's called a Prince Albert. It's probably the most well-known of the male genital piercings, and it's usually a, a circular, either a circular barbell or a ring, a, a, a round piece of jewelry that enters um, the base of the circumcision scar just behind the head of the penis and comes out the urethra. So this is a very common piercing in my world. This guy has one, and not only does he have one, but he's stretched it. You, can, you may stretch, this. you've seen people with the big ears, right? So you can do that to any piercing pretty much. So he's standing there completely naked, PA that's, in my estimation, zero or double zero gauge, which in the gauging system, zero is eight millimeters thick, double zero is 10 millimeters thick. So we're talking McDonald's straw or larger piece of stainless steel jewelry. Now. I've seen a few penises at this point in my life, but not a whole lot. And this is kind of new territory for me, and I'm getting that sort of bad car accident feeling where like you don't want to look, but there's a, you know, men are like crows, right? There's like a shiny thing, and they're like, mm, shiny, oh shit, oh shiny, oh! So I'm, I'm trying to keep it together, you know? And I'm like, all right, okay. And, uh, the other bad thing about having a Prince Albert of that size is it, it stretches you a little bit. It's very heavy. So it stretches your penis a little bit. So it's hard to tell, is this guy just a little better hung than me? Or is he a little bit excited? It's hard to tell. So I'm like, okay, here's how this is going to work. I'm going to put this uh, thing on the table here. Uh, you're going to get on the table on your hands and knees, and I'm going to fucking stand behind you and look at all your stuff. So up onto the table he goes. 
And I start my procedure, you know, gloves, wiping down the area, marking the area. There's a small Pennington forcep that's going to go on the area, then a needle and a piece of jewelry. So I think that I knew this at the time, but it didn't really register to me that this part of your body has a very high concentration of nerves. There's a big nerve bundle there, which is why people get it pierced. It's also why now that I'm a little more mature and have had a little more sexual experience, it's a nice place to sort of rub. So I'm not thinking about this as I'm prepping this guy, not noticing that his tumescence is starting to throb. And uh, I mark it. He hasn't made any noise at this point. It, it, the only, there's been nothing overtly inappropriate about his in exchange with me other than this weird, I'm prematurely naked thing. So I mark the area, the, the clamp goes on, you know, needle, and it's a 12 gauge needle, not small, but not huge, uh, two millimeters for anybody that's counting. And uh, I run the needle through the piercing, you know, basically it looks like this. Okay, buddy, ready? One, two, push. He um, expelled some, he came all over the table, all over the table. And not, and not like, I mean like a movie, like they film all day to get this shot, literally shot. So I'm here, right? There's two, there's thighs here, there's two round buttocks here, there's a big ball sack here, and then there's cum all over the thing. So I'm a consummate professional, so I'm like, mm, horrible, mm, all right. Well, uh, okay, you know, so I, and at this point, he's, he's still not moaning and groaning, but he's pretty damn close, and I'm like, Jesus, fuck, like, does this happen all the time? Like, I, am I gonna have, to, is this gonna be my career? Is like dudes coming on the table? So I, you know, I very hurriedly sort of finish the piercing, clamp comes off, jewelry goes in, needle goes in, sharps container, blah, 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 blah. And I, I'm waiting for him to be embarrassed. I'm waiting for him to be like, oh, you know, sorry, it just, I, because it happens sometimes doing genital piercings that, I mean, people are messing with your genitalia. It's not, there's no stretch of the imagination to think someone might be aroused. And most of the time when there's a man, and it doesn't matter their orientation, they're, you know, I'm a stranger to them. I'm, a, I'm their doctor for lack of a better word. And if they get a little hard, they tend to be very embarrassed by that. Or, and at least say, oh, you know, if not say anything, you can visually see that they're uncomfortable. And that sort of makes you feel better about the situation. Like, okay, this guy understands that this is a weird situation. This guy had no fucking clue that this was a weird situation. I'm handing him a roll of paper towels. He's asking me, what are the paper towels for? And I'm trying to think of a nice way to say, because I'm not a fucking jizz mopper, you asshole. Clean this shit up. So he finally gets the hint and he's cleaning up this fucking issuance that he's left behind, still completely naked. So I'm gathering, I'm, I'm, I'm good, I'm, I'm together. I've cleaned up my area, thrown away sharps and biohazard here and this goes in this trash can, all right, clean. Wipe down my little setup tray, push everything back to where it needs to be. 
And then I'm like, okay, let's just continue as if this didn't happen. So I get the big mirror and I hand him the big mirror and there's a mirror on the wall and I go, all right, go ahead and check it out. Now, normal customer goes, hmm. Yeah, looks good, man, thanks. This guy spends 10 whole minutes like this. And his foot goes up on the chair I've got there and he's got like the porno ball swing going on and I'm like, what in the fuck? So, after 10 minutes, I, I lose my composure a little bit and I'm like, okay, look, dude, um, your balls are still pierced. That's not gonna change. I have other customers that I have to deal with and quite frankly, I'm done looking at your balls. So here's your aftercare sheet. You know how to take care of it. We went through that before you came in. Have a good day. So he walks out and I'm like, fuck this guy, you know, trying to get my shit together. And as I'm calming down and there, the, my, the owner of the shop I worked in was ringing him up. I think she had intuited at this point that I wasn't going to deal with this dude anymore. She rings the guy up. Comes back, like, is everything okay? I go, yeah, it's cool. I'll tell you about it later. I, didn't, I just need a minute. Did he pay? She's like, yeah, he paid. But no tip. It's like, oh, you son of a bitch. So I gave this dude a happy ending. <laughs> and maybe a happy beginning, too. Who knows? For very little actual pay and zero tip. Thank you very much. was Robert Bland in North Carolina, and this is DJ Lobster Dust with a mashup behind me now. Hey, don't forget, some of our very best episodes can be found in the albums section at iTunes. You have to do a search for Risk All-Star at iTunes. Our three All-Star episodes are just phenomenal. Andy Dick, Aisha Tyler, Kamau Bell, Kevin Nealon, Mark Marin, Paul F. Tompkins... Sarah Silverman, Samantha B, Michael Ian Black. I mean, the stories are outrageous and not to be missed. The episodes are just $2.99 each. You just go to iTunes and look up Risk All-Star. Also, if you don't already know, we at Risk also have a school at thestorystudio.org. 
We do one-on-one coaching in person or over Skype, corporate workshops, weekend workshops, six-week workshops. And what we're most excited about right now is our brand new 14-part video lecture course, Storytelling for Business. You can watch the video lectures online at your own leisure. There's also a 30-page workbook full of exercises for workshopping your own stories. You will just come away with an arsenal of tips and tools for creating your own stories for the rest of your life. Go to thestorystudio.org and click on the little button that says, Send me the videos. And then you can get a 20% discount and learn more. Let's get back to North Carolina. In a little bit, we're going to hear from a comedian that everyone's talking about now, Mr. Josh Gondelman. But before that, the fabulous artistic director of the DSI Comedy Theater down there, Miss Paula Pezderka, with a story we call The Night Visitor. <clears throat> the Night Visitor is what I meant to say. of Roberts in, in, in many ways. Um, and so for a, a dramatic beginning, uh, a man leaned over and whispered in my ear, I will knock three times at your door at midnight. You will open the door. You will look at my dick for 10 seconds. You will close the door and we will never speak of it again. Let me back up for a second and tell you how we got to this point. Uh, I went to high school and college at a time when there was no Google and there was no Ask.com. I was also raised Catholic. So my sex education uh, consisted of materials that were developed in the 1960s um, that had weird language like heavy petting. Also, the illustrations in these books were like pencil or pen outlines of anatomy. Uh, I had a vagina and I could not recognize that that is what it was. Uh, I thought it looked like an onion slice or a sad waffle. The penis, uh, which I hadn't had much experience seeing, I thought looked like a like a sad, wilting flower that never bloomed. Or a cat toy that didn't have the feather on the end. Uh, I went to an all-girl Catholic high school, and so I tried to supplement uh, this information about sex and, and penises from my friends because I had a burning question. It was something that I did not understand. And that is, why? Why would you cut a dick? Why do you circumcise penises? I don't understand. Why would you do that? If you cut the folds of an accordion, it no longer plays beautiful music. But if you cut the folds of a dick, it's okay. It still works. 
works. I don't understand. I now know why the flower is sad. <laughs> My friends try to help me, but I am a, I'm a visual learner. I like to look at things, get my hands on it. One of my friends told me that a penis is like a baby's arm in a winter jumpsuit. A circumcised penis is when the mitten is not on the hand. It still works. Uh, an uncircumcised penis, the baby is wearing the mitten. It still works. I did not like that analogy. I did not like the fact that like my babysitting world and my almost not but not real sex life world were sort of combining and thinking that a baby was a penis. It did not sit well with me. It did not. It did not. So high school ended. Oh, I would also like to add that during my high school years, I did have a boyfriend. Um, and I had seen glances of, of penises. Uh, but there was always kind of like a wayward glance. Um, like never on in the light where you could see it well. I had done a lot of dark groping um, underneath umbro shorts. <laughs> Sometimes the Cavaricci pants. You know what I'm talking about. Anyway, so I went to college. I was so excited. I was going to Marquette University, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Yeah. There were going to be boys there. There was going to be beer there. And there was going to be a lot of learning there. A lot of learning. My freshman year, there was not a lot of learning like that. I don't know if it was because I was loud or what. Or for whatever reason, I hadn't even had really any like wayward glances or groping. And uh, this was all about to change, or I thought it would. Uh, it was the end of my freshman year and it was finals week. And I did not have a final the next day. So what was I doing? Drinking. Drinking in a dorm room. Because I didn't have to study for that next test right then. It was two days away. <laughs> Plenty of time. Plenty of time to get my beer mind working. I was drinking in uh, my friend Andrea's room and I love to drink with Andrea. She was so much fun because when she got really drunk, she acted like Punky Brewster. <laughs> it was awesome. Uh, and we were also drinking with Andrea's roommate's boyfriend. His name was Iwan. Uh, Andrea's roommate, I, uh, her name was Leanne. I didn't really like her. She was one of those girly girls that spent a lot of time on her hair. Uh, and she was also like majoring in something that wasn't very interesting, like communications. Um, so I never really paid too much attention to her, and likely so, I did not pay any attention to Elon. He seemed super duper boring. He was like six foot tall, blonde, wore khaki pants and button-down shirts. He could have been an Abercrombie and Fitch model, but boring. So boring. Now let me tell you that my freshman year, I pursued a man vigorously who had shaved his initials into his hairy chest <laughs> and also on his head. 
so that's the kind of guy I liked. Uh, a little bit quirky, maybe not beautiful, but interesting, funny, good to talk to. So Andrea and Iona and I were drinking, um, and we had covered all the usual bases. He talked about Eliane might be the one. And uh, Andrea was kind of lamenting that she had spent this whole year being faithful to her high school boyfriend who did not go to, this, to Marquette with her. Um, and she was starting to get a little upset because she started to convince herself that he had been cheating on her this whole time. And so she kind of got more emotional as we downed those Zimas. And um, <laughs> it was the 90s. Uh, anyway, so the night went on and she became more and more enraged. And finally she said, I don't understand. Dicks are ugly. And I don't know why. I don't know why they would make something as beautiful as a baby. <laughs> and this is where Ewan got mad. He said, dicks are not ugly. They are beautiful. I had a very beautiful penis. I tried to calm them down. I said, a dick is only ugly if it's having sex with somebody else that it's not supposed to. <laughs> I'm sure your dick is beautiful. I've never seen it, but judging by the way that you look, I'm sure it is a very beautiful penis. <laughs> Let's get back to those themas. Um, unfortunately, that did not diffuse the situation. Ewan was still angry, and Andrea was starting to cry. So I did the only thing that I could to defuse it. I said something that was totally crazy. And it was, I wish I could see an uncircumcised penis. <laughs> and then Iwan looked at me and he said, I'm from Poland. My dick is not circumcised. All of a sudden, Iwan was interesting. It was like he had a hairy chest and had just shaved his initials in it. Because all of a sudden, I was like, Ewan, yeah. And he said, I would like to show it to you. I would like you to show it to me too. Uh, and that's when Andrea became the voice of reason. I don't think Leanne's gonna like that. Leanna's gonna like it if she walks in right now and sees you showing your penis to two girls. It's kind of like her penis for now. Oh, no, no, no. Not according to you. No, it's my penis, he said. She likes it. She thinks it's nice, but it's my penis. Anyway, Andrea thought it would be a good idea if we all went home. Um, so as she gathered up all the Zima bottles uh, and went down the hall to throw them away, Ewan leaned over to me, and he whispered, Midnight is in ten minutes. I'm going to come to your door at midnight. I'm going to knock three times. You will open the door. You will look at my penis for ten seconds. You will close the door, and we will never speak of it again. <laughs> I was... Ecstatic. I ran down the hall. I put on my pajamas for the show. <laughs> my roommate, who had been studying all night, was like, what's the word? And I was like, Ewan's coming down to show me his dick. 
she's like, what? What crazy world are you living in? You don't even like him. He's boring. I'm like, it's uncircumcised. Yeah. She goes, how does Leanne feel about this? I'm like, what? Don't rain on my parade. I'm like, I don't know. She goes, how would you feel if your boyfriend showed someone else their dick? I don't know. I'm not saying, I'm just saying. I don't want you to feel guilty about this experience. She was right. I mean, I was Catholic. I mean, guilt is like my middle name. So I thought about it. And I thought, oh man, I just have this thirst for knowledge. <laughs> I'm at a university. This is what we're supposed to do here. I'm supposed to get my learn on. But then I thought, if my learning means hurting somebody else, even though she's boring, and she's not my friend, is that okay? And before I had time to think about it much more, there was a knock at the door. And Kathy turned to me and she said, he's early. It's <laughs> like, that's weird. Care about Leanne, but I don't want to hurt someone in my pursuit of knowledge. <laughs> so I turned off the light and I got into my bed with my Laura Ashley sheets and comforters. <laughs> I hugged my pillow and I thought, all right, sometimes you're not supposed to open those doors, okay? And I went to sleep and I had a horrible night's sleep. The next day, uh, after lunch, I was walking in the hall, and I saw Leanne and Ewan, and it was evident that they were not getting along. And then she marched right up to me, got in my face, and said, thank you. Thank you for not opening the door. That was me. I knocked on your door last night to see if you would betray me, and you did it. You are a good person. Thank you. And she marched away. I didn't have the heart or time to tell her that I was like an equal participant. And I really wanted to open the door. Iwan kind of sulked over to me, and then he leaned down and said, I will come to your door tonight. <laughs> at midnight, I will knock three times. You will open the door. You will look at my dick for 10 seconds. You will close the door and we will never speak of it again. I had kind of created this like dick monster. I mean, I did want to see his penis, but I didn't want to see his penis if I was gonna hurt somebody, you know? And so it was still, I had the same problem. Here she just thanked me very aggressively uh, for not looking at his penis. And so I, I still had the same problem and I thought, what can I do? I, 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 can't, I can't open that door. I want it so bad. I just want to learn and understand this uncut dick thing, please. <laughs> and so he did come that night at midnight, knocked three times, and I did not open the door, and I thought some doors are meant not to be opened. I know, I'm sad too. <laughs> my friends were also sad, but they respected my decision, so they like tried to help me after that. I would get like, magazine ripped out pages of, of penises under my door. One of my friends like raided a porn shop with VHS tapes and pain 
painstakingly cut out the uncircumcised penises and tape them to a piece of paper. Um, and eventually, I, you know, I graduated from Marquette, only seeing these, you know, poor images. And, you know, I understand that Yuan and Leanne broke up our senior year. Um, and I, you know, I eventually got married. Uh, I, I married someone who was one of my early dark groping victims um, from high school. And I was thinking, I wonder if he ever thinks about the time he tried to show a girl in his girlfriend's dorm is dick. I wonder if he ever thinks about that. And I wonder if he wonders why I didn't open that door. Because I do. <laughs> I, I really wish I would've opened that door. Um, so my advice to you is never live with regrets. Thank you guys. <laughs>
And it was like I had been sprayed with boner be gone. <laughs> I had no idea what to do, right? I don't know how to respond to that. I'm a former preschool teacher, so my first instinct was just to go, no! You use your words. Gentle hands. I talked to her about it later, and she had wanted me to hit her back. Which, when you're a, a boy, you're taught never to hit a girl. Not even if she's really asking for it. But they never cover what to do if she's literally asking for it. I'm a very timid guy, sexually. Like, I guess my most crazy fantasy is, um... I, w I would like to someday have sex in, like, a museum. <laughs> but not a crowded museum. It's not about exhibitionism. And not, like, a spooky museum. It's not a goth thing. I think I just like to get laid around art. <laughs> so anyway, um... I mean, I know like, that's, that's kind of a weird thing, especially given that the host of this show, his sex life, to me, seems like a deleted scene from Zero Dark Thirty. <laughs> <laughs> so a few years ago, this was my like one true one night stand experience, uh, and it went weird. <laughs> I was uh, out in the Midwest doing some stand-up comedy, and it was after the show, and I was at a different bar where there were bands playing, and some of the other comedian friends and I were having some drinks, and I'm not accustomed to drinking. Uh, I'm just not good at it. It's another thing I started late, so I get very tipsy very quickly. So I have uh, one shot and one beer, and I'm ready to call it a night. <laughs> so I go up to the bartender, he says, what do you have? And I say, glass of water, please. And this girl next to me says, glass of water? You're no fun at all. <laughs> and guys, it was like she'd known me my whole life. <laughs> we start talking and she's smart, uh, she's funny, she's got a tattoo of a song lyric by my favorite band. Um, she's cute, but not hot, which, that's like my type. And it's not a low self-esteem thing. I just don't like girls whose entire personality is like, I'm hot. What do you bring into the table? <laughs> she has glasses too, that's super my thing, right? Glasses, that's what I'm all about. Which is convenient because it's the only physical disability that you're specifically allowed to be attracted to. Like, you can love any person with any sort of body or brain, right? But not because they're disabled. Like, how weird would it be if I was like, hey, check out that girl with scoliosis. I'd like to bend her over, but too late. So 
so there's a band playing and we're really enjoying it. The band's amazing. And this girl and I were talking, we have a great rapport, partly because she's with another girl who I think is her girlfriend. And I'm like, oh good, there's no way I'll have to have sex with either of these people. I can be very at ease. So we're talking, we're having such a good time. We leave, we go to another bar where there's karaoke. We go to a house party at the home of the sound guy from the original bar who offers me cocaine for the first time. To which I respond, if there's any doubt of the kind of guy I am, oh, no thank you, but I appreciate your trying to make me feel at home. <laughs> We're having a great time. At the end of the night, my ride back to the hotel where I'm supposed to be staying is like, hey Josh, I'm leaving, do you need a ride? And this girl that I'm talking to goes, no, I'll take care of it. And I was like, cool, if you don't feel like driving all the way back to your apartment, my hotel has two beds. <laughs> I'm trying to blow it. She's like, we're not going to your hotel. A little while later, we back, end up back at her apartment. I brush my teeth, because hygiene's important. <laughs> and I go to her bedroom where she's already wearing nighttime clothes. And I say, may I take off uh, my jeans? And she said, you're very sweet. <laughs> so we start hooking up, things are progressing, we're making out, it's a lot of fun. And she says, Josh, we should have sex with each other, which is convenient because there was no one else around to have sex with. <laughs> I say, sure, but we should get some protection in between the two of us for safety's sake. And she says, you're totally right. She's like, my roommate has condoms, but she's out of town. I'll go get one from her room. So she goes to get a condom, and I'm like, oh boy, it's really happening. <laughs> so she comes back, and we have sex, and then it's over. About like that. <laughs> and I'm like, well, at least that part of the night's done with. We can get to the snuggling, which is more of my strong suit anyway. <laughs> But then she says, we should have sex again. And I said, we should get another condom. And she says, no, it'll be okay. And in that moment, right, we had just had some, we were having so much fun and there was trust and we'd established this kind of uh, intimacy. And I thought, you know what? Maybe it will be okay. Maybe this is growing up, which is a big problem when your epiphany is a Blink-182 lyric. <laughs> So we just start doing sex. <laughs> Which is not normally how it goes for me. Like, normally, I'm so careful about protection, right? I use two or three condoms, I pop a birth control pill, like, whatever it takes. <laughs> Tarp. <laughs> but this time we just decided to spin the wheel and play Catholic roulette. Just like, no baby, no baby, no baby, no baby! <laughs> Daddy needs a future. So we, we get to the end part, and when we finish, when I finish, uh, <laughs> uh, I, it's a problem, right? Because she was on, on top of me, and I felt, this is my first time for something like this. I, how do you broach, do you just throw her off and go, it's gonna blow! <laughs> so I didn't. And, and when it happened, we were both horrified. We made eye contact. 
And we both thought, oh, no. She went to the, she just got up without saying another word and ran into the bathroom. And I felt so bad. Like, it, we just had this sweet, innocent thing, and we all of a sudden accelerated it into grown-up behavior with consequences. And it was very upsetting. And I was there, I was just lying still, thinking, oh my god, I have AIDS. I have so much AIDS right now. This is the most AIDS I've ever had. This is an unprecedented amount of AIDS for me. So she comes back in the room and it's different. Something's different. The dynamic is not the same. And she says, Josh, um, that's fine. What happened is fine, but we should go get a morning after pill tomorrow. And I was like, yeah. And then I thought, yeah, like she could be pregnant. I'm going to have to give up comedy and move to the Midwest and teach middle school. And it was stressful. I was like, this isn't what I do. This isn't my life. How did I let this get here after one beer and one shot? So we get up the next morning, we have breakfast, and it's nice, but it's different. There's just a tension in the air. And where we drive to near where my hotel is, which is across the street from the Mall of America. And we walk into the Mall of America, because a lot of malls have pharmacies inside them. But the Mall of America isn't one of those malls. So we're just walking by store after store, like maternity clothes and baby gap. And it's terrible we're just we just have this we try to forestall it we go get orange julius and it's not very good it's just very it's very stressful and upsetting and i i'm just thinking like how did my life come to this where did i go wrong and i mean i knew <laughs> so we leave to find a real pharmacy and as we're walking in it's all kind of like sinking in like i i want i'm this is the one chance i got to meet this person right and instead of being my usual self, which is like a nice, funny, fun person, I thought, I'm leaving her with this horrible, irresponsible legacy of awkwardness. And it's just like, that's my problem with one night stands, I think, is that you only get one chance. You get a first impression and a last impression and you make them both at once with your penis. <laughs> so we're about to walk inside the, the Walgreens and she can tell, I'm just like a knot of and I'm curled up and I'm walking and I'm just like not saying anything and I'm probably pale and she said paler <laughs> and she said the most comforting words I could imagine she goes Josh uh, when I ask for the plan B pill I want you to put your hand on my belly and say do we have to <laughs> She made her lip quiver, and I never laughed harder in my life. I was like, this girl is amazing. She might be my soulmate. Maybe we should just have this baby. <laughs> so we walk into the, um, we walk into the pharmacy, and she's like, one plan B pill, please. Uh, and the pharmacist rings it up, boop. And I know it's my turn to do the thing that she asked. But I don't want to, you know, like I don't, I think it's a little over the top. But also, I wanted to make her laugh like she had done for me. I wanted to cut the tension for her. So what I did was, um, when the pharmacist rang up the plan B pill, boop, 
probably the tensest moment of my life to date. I pulled out my credit card and went, don't worry, little lady, this one's my treat. <laughs> Thank you. I laughed, she laughed, you laughed. Pharmacist did not laugh. <laughs> She gave me a very dirty look. <laughs> to which I responded by reaching deep down into my gut, don't worry, I'm gonna write this one off as a business expense. <laughs> anyway, we became Facebook friends. <laughs> Not the pharmacist. And when her mom, who lived near where I used to live in Boston, was dying, she and her sister came, uh, and we went out for drinks, and it was all very normal, and we didn't mention it. And uh, last two weeks ago, she got engaged, as I saw on Facebook. And I said, congratulations. And she clicked like. <laughs> and that's how my first one-night stand ended. <laughs> Thank you guys so much. is all for this week folks this is disaster in the universe behind me now remember if you like risk tell your friends spread the word on twitter and facebook you can find us at risk show you can find me on twitter at the kevin allison you can send us your own stories or find out where Risk is happening next or see the table of contents of all the episodes or find our sponsors like adamandeve.com or proflowers.com and click on the special offers we have with them at risk-show.com. Now we're looking for a sponsor. For our April 20th show in Philadelphia, we're expecting about 400 people in the audience there, so it's a great opportunity. It's us and First Person Arts are doing this show at the Free Library. And we are always on the lookout for a potential investor, an angel, to come help us out with our school at thestorystudio.org. And finally, don't forget that this podcast, Risk, is a proud member of the network at MaximumFun.org 
and we are listener supported. We very much need the support of the folks who love our show. Go to MaximumFun.org slash donate. Make a one-time donation or become a member today. So keep all that in mind, and we will see you next week. Just remember, folks, today's the day. Take a risk. Glocke zu läuten, denn dann können wir noch was Besseres bekommen.